Welcome to the Jongus Games Podcast. In today's episode, you'll be hearing an edited version of the live questions and answers vlog that was recorded in April of 2021. Now, as always, I do want to point out that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. You can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash jongetsgames, and I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the channel if you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. Okay, let's jump into the questions. Uh, DS Squirtle uh, asks a two-parter. What have you found is the best way to meet new gaming friends, and what's been the best way for you to game in these times? I'm assuming you mean COVID pandemic times. Um, the best way I've found to meet new gaming friends uh, was, well, originally to use meetup.com. That's how I met just about everyone I play board games with now. Um, there were a couple of board gaming groups in my uh, local area. I live in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area. And I found one that was in Berkeley back in 2009. And uh, that was about an hour drive away from me, but I like board games enough, so I would drive an hour out to Berkeley to play games with those people. And um, once I did that, uh, for long enough, my entire uh, gaming group now has essentially grown from that meetup uh, situation. I haven't actually used meetup.com in a very long time, like eight or nine years, so I'm not sure if it is still a good way to do this, but it's possible. I think it still exists. Uh, regarding the second part of your question, how have I been uh, gaming in these COVID times? It's been online. Um, it started off a little bit slow, you know, about a year ago, uh, I guess back in April or so, is when we first really started testing the waters of playing games with uh, Tabletop Simulator. Uh, a friend of mine made a Discord group for um, several people to play uh, uh, a board game. And then after that, we decided to just use that Discord group for lots of games. And it's become an impromptu board game playing Discord group amongst our group of friends. Um, so that's kind of been the way it's worked. Um, at the old uh, uh, board game cafe um, that I used to go to before the pandemic, we would have game nights on Monday nights. So we kind of kept that going in the pandemic. And most Monday nights, people would get together on the Discord channel and we'd play games on Tabletop Simulator. Um, I was very rough with Tabletop Simulator at first. I was very slow. But over the course of this last year, I've played it over 600 hours on it. And I've, you know, figured out all of the little tricks and stuff. And I think I'm just just about as fast playing games on Tabletop Simulator as I am in real life. Uh, certainly when you consider the fact that you don't have to set up the game usually <laughs> in Tabletop Simulator, it's just already out. You don't have to take anything out of bags. Um, so that's been the way we've been doing it. And I think it's likely once things shift into a new normal um, post-pandemic, I know we're not in a post-pandemic yet, but in the future, um, I think I'll probably do a lot more Tabletop Simulator online gaming than I used to just because I'm so used to it now. Um, definitely there's going to be a lot more gaming in person though. Hero Apollo asks, do I have any opinions on how to get someone interested in board games? I'm hoping to get my girlfriend to start playing, but so far, no luck. Um, thanks for all the hard work that you do. Um, honestly, I don't have any really good ideas. Um, sometimes people like things and sometimes people don't. Um, I've noticed that the more you push with these kind of things, um, with like friends and family that I have that aren't necessarily into board games, that can almost make a backlash where they they just they, they don't want to do it even more. Uh, so I think it's more just about being inviting, letting people know that it's an option, um, maybe trying to get some idea if there are any specific roadblocks. So one thing I come back to is like, I love board games and I like 
logic puzzles and that kind of stuff uh, well enough. Like I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy doing them when I do. Uh, my wife likes board games and loves doing those kind of things. Uh, there have been many times where she has been uh, uh, going to get together with some other people to do like a puzzle or something like that. And I found that I just am not really interested. And I think that that is a pretty good analog where I'm like, I know I'd probably have a good time, but I don't know. I just don't really feel like doing it. And I think a lot of people who are adjacent to board games and, you know, board game obsessed people like me, um, they might have a similar feeling where they're like, yeah, I'd probably have a good time, but I'm just not really feeling it. And I just try to empathize with that position and know that not everyone is going to love board games. You can't turn anyone into an avid board gamer. Um, you know, you just have to, uh, uh, you know, introduce people where you can and uh, see where it goes, but definitely not force it. <laughs> Side game asks, what is the biggest rules mistake you've made? Oh man, I'm sure I've made some big ones before. I'm having a hard time thinking of what exactly they'd be. I don't think I've had any gigantic ones recently. Uh, I will say, looking back at some of the videos that I've done that I've had to refilm, uh, one was Fate of the Elder Gods, where there's like five things you do on your turn in a specific order. And for some reason, I got two of those steps uh, swapped and it was really important because it had to do with checking the board to see how many cultists there were and then you add cultists and I got those swapped and I had to refilm the entire video because of that tiny rule which is actually super important because if you check before you add or add before you check that's going to really change how the game goes. Um, I know I made a pretty big mistake in the Preda Porter video that I put uh, um, uh, corrective text on the screen about where I just totally misunderstood one of the worker placement spots and I felt really awful about that and I put so much time into it. I almost refilmed it, but I just could not with my schedule at the time. That was a, a very uh, feels bad kind of moment. Uh, <laughs> those are the two that really jump out to me. Uh, fortunately, I haven't made any massive rules mistakes recently. Reishi asks, what would be your favorite gameplay in April so far? Well, in order to figure that out, I'm going to have to see what games I've actually played in April. So uh, I track everything I used, uh, board game uh, BG Stats on iOS. So let's see, in April. Wow, I've not actually played that much stuff. Well, actually, I played Beyond the Sun again for the first time in a while. Mandala, let's see, Mini Rails, uh, Lose on Rails. Hmm, I think as far as the play experience goes, I did play Trans-Siberian Railroad again. Probably Trans-Siberian Railroad. I'm loving that game. I've played it like five or six times now. Uh, and Beyond the Sun, I also super love that game. Honestly, maybe I enjoyed that Beyond the Sun play even more than Trans-Siberian. Uh, Beyond the Sun is such a good game. <laughs> uh, I've talked about it at long length, so I won't go into it more here. But um, that was my first four-player game, actually. I'd played like five Beyond the Sun games, all three-player. I haven't tried two-player yet, and I finally got to play four. And I think it took about two hours, so it wasn't terribly long overall. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed that play. Uh, Chrissy asks, before your recent fascination with train games, what was your favorite genre of games along with examples? Um, I guess as far as the genre is concerned, just uh, engine building, multiplayer, solitaire, Euro style games uh, where you're really focusing on what you're doing. Um, we have direct, indirect uh, competition where you don't like destroy anything that your opponents have, but you might get in the way to stop them from the things that they're trying to do. Um, I think like Terraforming Mars would be a good example of that kind of thing. Actually, that one does have some direct interaction. So maybe that one is not 
as good of an example. Um, well, I mean, Beyond the Sun, actually, that's a good example. Uh, you're definitely um, doing things, you have worker placements, so you're kind of getting in people's way, but you're really focusing on the objectives that you're trying to do. There's some engine building going on in that game as well. Um, and I'm really just saying that because it happens to be fresh in my brain. <laughs> so yeah, um, Euro games in general, but especially the indirect interaction engine building uh, type. Uh, also the type that have more elegant rule sets instead of like massively bloated rule sets. Um, I tend to gravitate towards those a lot. Uh, well, Concordia, that's a good example uh, where you only to do one thing on your turn. You play a card, you do what the card says, but the uh, wonderful ramifications of that uh, give you lots of strategic and tactical options. Uh, Dimitri asks, John, greetings from Russia. My question is, where do you see yourself in the next 10 to 15 years? Uh, that is an easy question to answer because I have no idea. I'm not really one of those people who looks ahead, if I'm being honest. I never really have. Uh, I'm not a life plan kind of person. Um, I've usually gone through life essentially looking down at my feet, like, you know, where I'm walking in this exact moment. Um, I make most of my decisions based off of what's making me happy in the moment and, you know, trying to make sure to not do anything that's going to sabotage me, uh, you know, five or 10 years down in the future. But uh, I genuinely have no idea. I kind of let the opportunities of life uh, present options to me. Uh, for example, I would have had zero idea that I would even have a YouTube channel, let alone have uh, making videos be my full-time job 10 years ago. Uh, you just never know what's gonna happen and I'm all about trying to grab hold of the good opportunities that arrive. All right, Jinrei asks, did you get more views on the Beyond the Sun tutorial since they linked it uh, as a video? Oh, they linked it as the video on Board Game Arena? That's cool. I did not know that. Um, it's possible. Let's see here. Let's check the last 90 days. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a big jump on April 1st. A huge jump. It was averaging like 22 to 50 views a day. And after April 2nd, it's getting in the 200s. It's now down to the 160s, but that's cool. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. I had no idea. Um, I mean, perhaps the April 1st is around when it went up onto Board Game Arena. Um, and if that's true, I mean, it really looks like it in the analytics. That is uh, super cool. I, I like, I definitely like hearing that. All right. Ted asks, are the t-shirts going well? They look great and I'd love to see more. Yeah, they are going well. Let's see. At this point, there's been about 19 or 20 of them that have uh, been sold, which is uh, really great to see. I think that's probably more than I sold of the old t-shirts entirely over the last few years. Um, but that doesn't super surprise me because, man, this t-shirt looks awesome. I know I'm very biased. I commissioned it to exist and I had some uh, feedback and specifically how some of these things changed. But this is mostly the artist's idea. Um, yeah, I'm super pleased with it. Um, if I'm being honest, I'm not really making money on these t-shirts. Like, I think I get just a couple of bucks each. And I did not make these new t-shirts as a venture to make more money and to add into my overall revenue. At this point, I'm nowhere near the uh, commission cost to actually get this design made, but I'm totally fine with that. I, I just wanted to have something that I could um, have available to the community. Um, also for myself, <laughs> I like wearing these as well. And I just never felt great about the old t-shirt design because it was just the logo. It was a bit uh, boring. Um, I will say that after this, I am more interested in potential uh, other t-shirt designs being made. Um, the, this went so well overall that um, that is uh, feeding my interest in doing that, but I need to have more ideas. Uh, so if anyone has good ideas for a, a John Gets Games related t-shirt, then let me know. But um, I'm not the most uh, artistically creative person, so uh, I oftentimes just 
don't really think of things. Honestly, I didn't have this happen because I had a good idea. This happened because I just really wanted a new t-shirt and I kind of found this design uh, working together with the artist. Uh, Reishi asks, how did you enjoy It's a Wonderful Kingdom? Which one of the two would you choose, It's a Wonderful Kingdom or World? Um, I will keep in mind that I was sponsored uh, to make that video. They paid me to make that video. And I haven't actually played a full game of It's a Wonderful Kingdom. I played half of a game for the tutorial, and then I packaged it up and moved on to the next game. So I haven't seen how a full game plays. Uh, I think it um, is a really interesting take on tweaking things for a two-player only game. Uh, you know, oftentimes when you play a multiplayer game that could be more than two, uh, as a two-player game, you have lots of mind games anyway, because it's most of these games are zero-sum. You don't have multiple people to beat, you just have that one other person, which means, you know, even if you lose points as long as your opponent loses more, you're still netting more on them. And so seeing them change the draft mechanic into this kind of I split you choose uh, a pile incentive mechanic, uh, I think it's kind of brilliant, if I'm being honest, from a mechanical perspective. I think that is super cool. Most I split you choose games, you have a pile of stuff and you split them and then other people choose from those piles. But in this one, the piles are evolving and you can actually add things in, um, make you know a, a pot a spoiler and then maybe add some more things in there to make it to the point where somebody might take it. I think that's all super cool. I will say that I actually rarely play games with two players. So I think for me personally, I would prefer It's a Wonderful World because almost all of the games that I play are in a multiplayer experience. Um, if I was to play It's a Wonderful World or It's a Wonderful Kingdom at two players, right now I would definitely gravitate towards uh, Kingdom. And that's mostly because hand drafting games can oftentimes at lower player counts, you just see the cards over and over again. And a lot of people like that. You know, they see the hand and they know they're going to pass it over. One's going to go away and they come back and they're going to have all these extra options. But I tend to like a little bit more chaos in my hand drafting games where you pass it around to more and more people. Uh, and I also, again, think that um, pseudo I split you choose mechanic in Kingdom is brilliant from a mechanical perspective. So I would definitely gravitate towards playing that one at least a few times to really get a feel for it, see how it plays in person. Um, I will say that uh, the trap mechanic, uh, it's not something I'm against, but I wouldn't say it's something that I personally lean towards, um, that kind of uh, uh, mind game bluffing type situation, but I'm not against it overall. And I do think that the modules idea of Kingdom is super cool. So you can really play one game differently from the next. Um, you can have a very combative game as you're hiding all of those menaces, or you could play a positive game where you're getting these advisors, which give you extra powers that you can spend your soldiers on. I will say in, when you use the advisor module, there are still calamity cards, which are just negative four points, and you can't get rid of them. So if you take it, it's just negative points. But yeah, that, that's kind of where I land with it. Um, I would definitely not mind having a copy of Kingdom. I do own It's a Wonderful World, and I just got the Corruption and Ascension expansion, and I'm really excited to try that one. That one seems really neat. Um, so I think there's probably space for both of these in a collection, especially considering one is hand drafting and the other one is, is quite different. But again, I haven't actually played a full game of it. Tim asks, have you ever considered designing a game? Your playthroughs are the best. <laughs> well, thank you, Tim. I'm glad you enjoy them. Uh, yes, I have done a lot more than consider designing a game. I have technically designed one full game and I worked on a few others. Uh, before John Gets Games was a thing, um, I, I really wanted to do something in the board game industry. That's realistically what John Gets Games is all about, is me wanting to do something in board gaming that and just happened to end up being videos. I didn't go into this saying, I want to make videos. I said, I want to do board game stuff. And back in 2010-ish and 11, when I was 
still pretty new to the hobby, but really falling down the rabbit hole hard, um, I decided I wanted to design games. Uh, I started a blog and uh, to detail all of my thoughts. And as I worked through several games, I think I worked on maybe like five or six different game ideas. Um, one of them I considered to be complete and then two others got somewhat close. One of them got really close. Um, and honestly, at the time I considered, uh, well, I guess I'm being vague. The one that I consider complete is called Mutation. Um, and it does have a Board Game Geek uh, uh, name. Uh, so you could go to Mutation at Board Game Geek and see this game that I made. And I have rules posted up for it there. I don't think it's the best game in the world. I've played it with some people that not, aren't very into it, and I've played it with other people who really quite like it. It's a dice rolling and stacking game. Um, and then another game called, uh, my goodness, I think it was called Nanobots or something like that. I don't even remember the specific name. Um, it was a really neat game that had this card mechanic where um, you actually had a hand of cards and each one did an action. And then there was a tableau of cards in the middle. And when it was your turn, you would take a card from the middle and then do the action of that card and then play a card from your hand and then do the action on that card as well. I came up with this idea back in like 2012 and I thought it was such a cool idea. So every turn you did two things by simply playing a card and drawing a card. And then obviously if you play it into the tableau, you do the action and then other people could take that card and perform that action as well. Um, that game had a hex grid where you were moving dice around, but you never rolled them. They kind of had energy stored in them and you had some expansion and a little bit of combat essentially between the dice that again, did not actually have any uh, randomness. I thought the game was cool, but it didn't quite have the spark that made me think it was done. I remember feeling like it was better than some of the games that I played that were fully published, but um, uh, you know, that one's a bit lost to time. I think I technically have that prototype lying around somewhere. But um, ultimately, I, I went away from designing games because realistically, mostly because um, I did not have the patience for iterating prototypes. Um, you know, you make a big change and you have to remake all of your stuff that just took a long time. And um, my playgroup was not very... Uh, focused on playtesting, like I would get some friends to playtest these games, but for the most part, my my friends mostly wanted to play fully published games. Uh, I think if I'd been in a solid board game designer atmosphere, that might have changed things up, and maybe I'll get back to there at some point in the future, but I guess I'm kind of running around the point. Realistically, what I've realized is that I love working with other people's ideas and trying to tweak their ideas, come up with new, fresh takes on their ideas. I like working with other people. I like developing other people's designs instead of, you know, running with the ball the entire way myself. Um, so I think it's kind of cool that I have one game that I consider fully designed that you just need a big pile of uh, dice to use. Uh, again, I don't think it's the best game in the world. It's definitely hit or miss. The last time I played it, it was a pretty big whiff, which is part of the reason I haven't played it again in a while, but um, I've played it like 60 or 70 times as I developed it. Uh, but either way, that is a very long way of saying um, I don't really see myself designing a game from the ground up anymore, but I have a bunch of blog posts. It's uh, happyhexagon.blogspot.com um, that detail my uh, journey through all that. And I am trying to get more development work as I help other people work on their games to make their games better. That's definitely uh, where I prefer to be. Eric asks, uh, ages ago you listed Prodigal's Club as one of your favorite games. Does that still hold? Uh, how does it rank against uh, Suchi's, or I guess Suhi's uh, recent designs for Underwater Cities and Praga Kaput Regni? Well, uh, I still own Prodigal's Club, so that's something. It has avoided all of my culls, but it's been a long time since I played. Let's see. The last time I played Prodigal's Club was probably somewhat uh, recent to when I made that list. I think you're talking about when I did a top 20 um, uh, favorite games as of, I think I made that in 2017 or so. Um, I've only played Prodigal's Club three times. 
and the last time was October 21st, 2016. So it's been a long time, uh, but it survived all of the calls because I remember enjoying it so much. Um, I have considered trying to get it played again, uh, not this last year because of um, the pandemic, but um, I don't see myself putting it on the call pile anytime soon because I remember enjoying the theming of it and the engine building and all the decisions that go into that game. But it's been so long that I'm probably gonna have to do a full reread on those rules. Um, I think compared to Underwater Cities, I, I definitely prefer Underwater Cities because Underwater Cities is brilliant. It's It feels like a modern classic to me. I, actually, that's another great example of uh, a Euro game with engine building mechanics and lots of indirect interaction. Um, that's a, it's, it's an even better example than Terraforming Mars, which I said, which of course does have direct interaction. Uh, I definitely get a bit of a Terraforming Mars vibe from Underwater Cities, and I have played that one recently, about a month or two ago, and it is still brilliant. It super holds up. So I think if I was to need to only keep one Underwater Cities or Prodigals Club, I would definitely go with Underwater Cities. Part of that is because even though there's a lot going on in both of these games, the rule set for Underwater Cities is a lot tighter. It's a worker placement game with pretty good iconography as far as I'm concerned, whereas Prodigal's Club is essentially three different games all mashed together in a way that really works, but there's a lot more going on and a lot more to teach. Uh, as far as Prago Kaput Regni is concerned, I still only play that one once. I, I would like to play that one again in the future, but even after one play, I think I definitely would prefer um, Underwater Cities. And I think right now, if you were to ask me, do you want to play Prager Kaput Regni or Prodigal's Club in this moment, I would probably lean towards Prodigal's Club, um, maybe because it's been so long and I have a strong memory of really enjoying it. Maybe it's because my one play of Prager Kaput Regni was fine. I enjoyed it. I think it's probably, you know, a seven out of 10 for me or so. And I would like to try it more in the future. But Prodigal's Club also had more engine building type stuff than Praga does. Um, that's fine. Praga is not really an engine building oriented game. There's some very tiny engine -y bits, but it's more about the action selection and about making combos, which I do enjoy. Um, so yeah, if I guess if I had to rank all three of those, uh, for personal preference, it would be Underwater Cities, Prodigal's Club, Praga. Um, but I really would need to try uh, Prodigal's Club again to make sure that that actually does hold up and I don't have rose-colored glasses as I think back to almost five years ago since I played it last. Hero Apollo asks, is there a theme, genre, or mechanic that you wish more games adapted or implemented? Um, honestly, uh, this one does get asked uh, just about every month, and I have some pretty standard um, uh, answers to that, although I guess maybe it's slightly changed. As far as a theme is concerned, I, I still stand by wanting to see more uh, Myst-related games, Myst the video game, like Myst and Riven. Um, I adored those as a kid. I love the art aesthetic. I actually replayed through Riven about seven months ago. It had been like 20 plus years since I played it last and I was amazed at how much I still remembered and I was amazed at how good that game still is, the video game. So I would love to see a Riven uh, board game that's actually good and not just like some pandering IP uh, and or a Myst game. Uh, as far as mechanics are concerned, I usually say um, incentivization, but I think I actually have a new answer for that, and that is shared incentives. Um, I've really been falling down the rabbit hole on cube rails games and train games over the last couple of months, and a big part of that is because I'm finding that I love shared incentives, which means I might have a thing that I want to have happen, and you will have a thing that you want to have happen. In these cases, it's usually owning stocks, and we have a shared incentive to help out the red company or something like that, but then um, it's not a co-op experience because our shared incentives might veer off in other ways as you kind of 
share incentives with multiple people around the table. I would love to see, uh, well, I would love to experience more games like that. I'm still quite new to trying out those sorts of games. So it's possible there's just a lot more that I haven't even tried, but this is a mechanic I would love to see even more of, um, perhaps in, you know, more standard Euro games with engine building and uh, indirect player interaction, the kind of stuff that I like, like an underwater cities with shared incentives. What would that even be like? I don't know, but I would jump all over trying it out. Brian asks, um, what would be your top five board games that are a must-play, regardless of gaming experience or complexity, just overall fun and replay value? Okay, so these are not going to be in order. I'm going to pull up my uh, the games I've rated on BGG right now. So these are not five in order, and they might not even be an authoritative top five. Um, I think Tichu is definitely up there. Brilliant card game. Love it. Most played game I've really ever had. Um, looking down, I feel like people should play Concordia. It's just, even if you're not super into Euro-type games, it's just such a brilliant, simple, elegant system. I really think that one would be on that list. Um, I, th this might be me leaning into Cult of the New a little bit, but Furnace is also absolutely brilliant and so incredibly simple. I think everyone should give that one a try um, because of the bidding mechanic and the engine building and just the really lean rule set. Um, I'm going to throw it on there. Uh, number four, I'll say Colorado. Brilliant game as far as simple rule set and uh, incentivization is concerned, and it really gets you emotional for such a strange, tiny little game with chameleons on the cards. And then if I was to come up with a number five, uh, I would say Quirkle. Um, I think Quirkle is, it's a real gem. Uh, I think uh, it leans into a lot of people's experience with Scrabble, but in a way that you don't actually need to know the vocabulary. It's just a great puzzle as you're trying to figure out the best way to score points. It's amazing at two players. Honestly, it's best at two players, but it's super fun even at four players. Um, and it's just, you know, big bag of tiles. So yeah, there's my five. <laughs> uh, Danielle asks, tote bags to come? I'm assuming you're talking about uh, merch. Uh, <laughs> it'd be great to have a structured, reliable gaming tote for my games when I start uh, going back to my friends and family's homes. You know what? I think a tote bag with this icon on it would look super cool. I had not thought about that, and now I want one. <laughs> so I guess maybe I should look into it. Um, yeah, uh, TBD. I'm not going to commit to that. Uh, before this, the next thing I was thinking about was like a mug and or a water bottle, because I feel like this logo would look super cool on a mug, although I don't actually drink hot beverages. I'm just not a hot beverage person. So I felt a little bit strange about that. Uh, right now, I'm just I just have the t-shirts, but um, a board game tote bag is definitely something to consider. Uh, I will say that for me personally, I have a variety of tote bags. Uh, one of them, honestly, I don't remember the specific name, but one of them is like a big rectangle. Uh, I think uh, they started out as a musical instrument bag, uh, like a, this kind of like drum things that are like wooden boxes that you would uh, drum beat on. People would start to use those as board game bags. It's a big long rectangle where you could unzip the top and put a whole bunch of games in. I have one of those and that's really great for transportation. You can put it on my, my shoulders as a backpack. Um, at one point, like 10 years ago, I went to Ross and pulled a rolly duffel bag. Um, so it kind of has an extend handle with two little wheels on it. And then the duffel bag, it's probably about this big by that big with a hard bottom. And I've taken that one to literally hundreds of game nights because I can just roll it behind me. And if I need more storage, I can have something on my shoulders as well. I have a few bags that are kind of like traditional um, grocery store bags that can hold like three or four games. Those work as well. Um, I really just pick and choose depending on where I'm going. Uh, but that's a long way of saying, maybe I'll look into it. <laughs> uh, 
The Dice Matrix asks, do you like any Amerithrash games? Um, so by that, uh, I'm assuming you mean, well, I, I, so by that you mean like American style games. I've heard that term before. I think that was coined by um, uh, Tom Basil from the Dice Tower because before that they were called Ameritrash games, which I think started out as a derogatory thing that Eurogame players used to say like 15 years ago. And then people who liked American style games decided to own that term. Uh, I personally just call them American style games, which um, honestly probably just thematic games is a better way to put it because the big difference between Euro games and American style games in general is um, how thematic they are, uh, how much the theme matters, and how much randomness happens within these games. Um, I do like both styles of games. Um, I probably have an American style game that I like that'd be really high up there on the list. I guess I had my uh, all my rated games on here. What's the first one of these that I would consider to be an American style? Well, probably Pandemic Legacy, um, season one in particular. Um, that's uh, got a very strong theme that's going through it, uh, and it does have a decent amount of randomness. It's somewhat controlled randomness because of the way the discard mechanic works, but there's definitely mechanics that you're dealing with in that game. Um, it's not the most American-style game. Like, you're not throwing dice. Okay, let's see. Speaking of dice, what's the top game on here that involves chucking a whole bunch of dice? Hmm. I'm going down pretty far before I find any of these, so I guess that might tell you something about my tastes. The first one is Liar's Dice. <laughs> I suppose, to a certain degree, Liar's Dice... Uh, you know what? I, I answered a question earlier about uh, five games that everyone should play. I'm going to expand it up to eight right now, based off of what I see on the, the page. Liar's Dice, everyone should play. It's a brilliant bluffing dice-chucking game. Crokinole is a brilliant dexterity game. Uh, flicking, I just I've loved that one so much. And uh, Can't Stop is also a brilliant dice game. You know what? I'll stick with that. I can't stop. I'll say that's the uh, uh, one of the best American style games just because, you know, you're just chucking dice like crazy in that game and you're pushing your luck like crazy. Uh, so there certainly are some good ones. Um, if I'd gone farther down that list of reviewed games, I'd probably bump into more. But um, just seeing how far down I had to go um, through many uh, dozens of titles, that does tell you where my uh, personal preferences lie. Ted asks, have you tried Paris Connection during your journey into Cube Rails? I tried it because it's currently the only Cube Rails type game on BGA, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, in fact, I covered my impressions of that in a Good Games vlog. It came out maybe three or four weeks ago. I played that one twice in an evening. The first time, technically got the setup rules slightly wrong. Um, second time, we got it right. Uh, and I like it. I'd say it's middle of the pack for the 12 or 13 Cube Rails games that I've played so far. Um, it takes a little while to set up, but um, the decision space and the fact that um, for most of these train games, you can see what stocks other people have, but in Paris Connection, you can't. The fact that the shared incentives are hidden, that is pretty interesting because you can see what cards, what stocks people take as they take them, but then you can't see them in your hand. So there's a bit of memorization going on there and also just trying to see what people are doing and try to understand what their incentives are based off of what their actions are. Uh, I've, I've found Paris Connection to be pretty neat. I would certainly not mind playing that one more. It's also incredibly simple to teach. One of the simplest rule sets of all of those games. Um, Antonio asks, is Beyond the Sun a must-buy? Um, my short answer to that is I don't think any game is a must-buy. I definitely try not to lean into the you know, buy every new game type culture, even though I do love new games overall. Um, I would say if you like Euro games, if you like work replacement games, um, it's a must try. Uh, and there are ways to do that. Um, specifically, there's a mod on tabletop, an official mod on Tabletop Simulator. And there's also, uh, it's also on Board Game Arena. So if it intrigues you and you're not sure if you want to spend the money on it, 
then there are a couple ways to try it out. And I would highly recommend you give it a shot because I love that game. Um, and hopefully it's worth the money to you. That's the other part about must buy things is, you know, I'm not sure how much that money that game is, like maybe 60 bucks. $60 to one person is very different than $60 to another person. Miklos asks, what board game channels or podcasts are your personal favorites? Um, well, I've really called back my podcasts, if I'm being honest. I used to primarily listen to board game podcasts, and now I almost don't listen to any. Uh, I listen to the No Pun Included podcast. Um, their stuff is great. Um, part of that is because uh, Elaine and Efka are good friends of mine, and so it makes me feel like I'm hanging out with friends <laughs> when I listen to their podcast, but also their stuff is great. Uh, yeah, I occasionally listen to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, but that's more when I see a specific topic that they're into. Um, I think the So Very Wrong About Games podcast is great. I haven't really listened to that recently, mostly because I've just primarily backed off of board game podcasts. The big reason for that is because I'm so down the rabbit hole that I found that most of the time when I listened to podcasts, I was just learning about things that I already knew and hearing impressions about games that I already tried. So it just didn't really appeal to me as much anymore. I just live and breathe board games. And so I found that when I would walk the dog or something like that and want to listen to a podcast, I almost want to breather from board games, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I've been leaning more into like history uh, podcasts and that kind of thing. As far as YouTube channels are concerned, um, I'm still subscribed to Rado. I watch probably about 50% of the videos that he puts out because he does a really good job of giving you an idea if a game's gonna be for you or not. Um, I've been subscribed to him since long before John Gets Games existed. Uh, same with Slicker Drips and uh, Before You Play. Uh, they both make excellent playthroughs. I mostly, actually, I think I entirely watch YouTube channels that do playthroughs. Um, and that's part of the reason I make playthroughs is because that's the kind of content I like to actually consume. I cannot remember the last time I watched a review, if I'm being honest. Uh, I, I've, I've seen review videos recently, but I don't even watch the subjective part. I only will watch a review if I want a brief idea of how the game plays. And most review videos talk about how a game plays before they actually go into their uh, impression, which Again, to me, I just I just don't really care about that anymore. Uh, in general, if I see how a game plays, I'll have a decent enough idea if it's one I would like to try. Um, all right, Chrissy asks, uh, or says, keep up the good games vlog. You got it. I'm planning on it. <laughs> uh, they are great, and we will take your personal impressions on games in any frequency, uh, in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying them. Um, realistically, those are essentially a podcast that I record in video form, and you can listen to all these vlogs in podcast form as well. Um, uh, many hundred people do that, which is kind of cool to see. Uh, I guess to a certain extent, that does hurt my ad revenue a bit because the vlogs have ads, but the podcasts don't. But uh, it's a minuscule thing, I, I, and I certainly don't mind uh, doing that. The, the podcast that I make was a goal that um, we hit on the Patreon campaign, so that was definitely cool to see. Uh, but going back to the Good Games vlogs, yeah, I mean, I started John Gets Games because I wanted to talk, to talk about games. The first games I talked about were reviews, but that was, again, me giving my personal opinion, me wanting to just talk, as Jonathan Cox, about games and the stuff that I like about games. And the Good Games vlog is essentially where I funneled all of that intent these days. And seven years on, I, I do still appear to want to talk about uh, my uh, personal takes on games. I just love games, and I love talking about them. Uh, Side Game asks... Have you ever wanted to go traveling somewhere based on a board game? Uh, where would you like to go? Huh. I'm not sure if I've directly wanted to go to a specific place because of a board game, but I will say that after getting more involved in board games, you know, over the last 12 years, um, it's made me more interested in just 
traveling around Europe. <laughs> like I've learned about a lot of cities, you know, from a rough board gaming uh, perspective. I've, I've learned a lot about a, a bunch of cities um, uh, from board games that I didn't know about. I guess, you know what, I will answer your question. I will say that I am interested in visiting Prague because of the game Praga Kaput Regni. Uh, in that game, you are assembling the King Charles Bridge, and you're doing a whole bunch of very city-related things. And I think it would be pretty cool to actually see the city. I've heard great things about Prague in general, so I think it'd be a, a cool spot to visit anyway. But then, you know, going to the cathedral that's in the game and seeing the bridge that's in the game, I think all that stuff would be pretty cool. Uh, but the same can be said about a whole bunch of cities scattered all the way across uh, Europe. Like, it'd be cool to go to Carcassonne. I mean, I doubt it would look very much like the game, but um, I would definitely get a kick out of visiting um, that place and uh, many others. But for now, I'll go with Prague. Reishi says, oh, I need to know about the It's a Wonderful World expansion. It's the most played game for you since December. A two-player variant is fine with you, same as more uh, the greater player count. Now you're thinking about adding the expansion. So, Reishi, I haven't actually played the expansion yet, but I did buy it in a moment of uh, retail therapy. <laughs> I bought like three expansions in a row uh, for other games as well. And the reason I really wanted the It's a Wonderful World expansion, again, not having played it, is uh, the Corruption and Ascension expansion, is because it brings in these Corruption cards and Ascension cards. And I think It's a Wonderful World is a brilliant game, but I would not mind a little bit more complexity. And the uh, this expansion appears to be the type that where you just shuffle the new cards into all of the old cards, so you don't have to do any special setup type stuff, which bugs me with many expansions. And then you just have to teach the corruption mechanic, which, if I remember correctly, it's some cards that can actually give you negative production, but give you other benefits. Um, so that just gives you a cost-benefit trade-off that you have to consider. And then the Ascension cards, I think, are just really hard cards to get completed, but have humongous benefits. So those just sound cool. There's just extra variety uh, to get mixed into that game. I feel like the game doesn't need that variety, but for me, I tend to like games that are a little bit more complex than that, if that makes sense. Like, I would not mind continuing to play It's a Wonderful World without the expansions, but it would not surprise me if I never play them, play it without the expansions in the future, now that I have them. I just have to actually get that played. That'll, that'll probably be on my short list of games to play with other people in person once we have fully vaccinated game nights. That should hopefully be happening in the next few weeks. Uh, Christian asks, when will you be doing a top Cube Rails games list? Uh, that's a good question, and I, I do see that coming soon. Um, uh, actually, this is a good moment for me to plug something. Um, tomorrow, I'm doing another live video. Um, I usually just do one live video a month, which is this live Q&A vlog. And I realized um, after a bit of soul searching and some conversations with some friends after the last update vlog, that uh, one of my favorite types of content to make are these live Q&A vlogs. I, I like being live. I like talking to people right now and answering your questions. And so it occurred to me, I have this innate aversion against top 10 lists for various reasons. And I was like, what if I tried to make a top 10 list that was live? Because I like doing things live. I think I would actually probably enjoy that experience more. I could potentially answer questions about the game right there live as I'm actually discussing the game. So I'm going to try it. Uh, maybe it'll be overly long and bloated and not actually that great. I won't know, but I am going to be recording that one tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Pacific time. Uh, and uh, so speaking of that, if that goes well, I can see myself doing more top 10 lists. Maybe I'll even do one every single month and I'll do them live. Um, I don't want to commit to that because I haven't done it yet, but I'm hoping it goes well. I'm kind of expecting it to go well. Um, so hopefully my expect expectations are met. And if I do end up doing more top 10 lists, it would not surprise me if I do a top 10 Q Rails list. Uh, I can tell you right now that I am keeping track 
of the Cube Rails games that I've played and the ones that I want to play. And right now, if I bring up the list, uh, according to my list, I have played 14 different Cube Rails games and I have 10 more that are on my list that I would really like to play. So I don't think I'm gonna actually make a top 10 list for Cube Rails games until I have played at least 20. Um, right now, I guess I would play 24 if I got all of these played. So uh, maybe in a few months, if I get uh, more of these done, uh, I would like to do it because I have lots more thoughts about these Cube Rails games and I want to keep playing them. My uh, fire for them has definitely not uh, diminished at this point. So that was a long, not very close answer to your question. Uh, but yeah, um, if you want to hear uh, my first attempt at a live top 10 list, then uh, I'll be live again tomorrow. <laughs> Rishi asks, Question, have you ever felt board games have trends? Like a year ago, there were B games, and this year, many PC-related implementations drag out or reduce excitement. Um, so I guess the question is, do trends affect my overall excitement for games? Um, I do think that there are definitely trends. Uh, for me, I don't think it really affects my excitement uh, unless the trend is something that I like, if that makes sense. Like if board games trend into, a, uh, into an area that I like, then I'm going to be more happy. And uh, maybe if it goes away from things I like, I'll be less so. Uh, I will say that um, from my perspective, there has been a Euro game trend over the last several years, three to four years, towards increased complexity and in, uh, increased amount of stuff in the box. And that is a trend that I do not like. Um, so I guess... To a certain extent, that trend is lowering my excitement for Euro games because I prefer my Euro games to be more elegant. I want more Concordias and Isle of Skies and that kind of game, or even Underwater Cities, which has a lot going on, but has a very elegant rule set overall versus um, a lot of games coming out right now with essentially three games worth, three expansions worth of content in the box. I think a big part of that has to do with Kickstarter and stretch goals and, you know, making people want to invest money in those uh, Kickstarters, it seems like there is an obvious incentive for publishers to put more and more stuff in the box because people want to get their uh, their money's worth. But um, I crave for trends to move a little bit back to uh, more elegant systems. You know, I, Beyond the Sun is another great example of um, where I want the trend to go as opposed to the direction right now where so many Euro games, I actually am not actually that interested in trying because I'm just like, it's going to take an hour to teach this game. And I, I want to play games that, you know, have teaches that are less than half an hour. Um, but that's just a personal trend for me. As far as like themes, uh, like like bees or, you know, uh, uh, natural disasters or whatnot, that doesn't really affect me because I'm in general much more of a mechanics-oriented person. Uh, Racy uh, says, maybe a suggestion to have someplace where we can drop ideas for new uh, merchandise designs. Personally, I would love to scribble a few sketch ideas down. I mean, uh, email me, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I've actually changed up the uh, jongetsgames.com, the website. I didn't, I don't think I mentioned it in the update vlog. Um, so when you go to jongetsgames.com, the main page, it actually has my contact information and the support like uh, Patreon and T-shirt and all that kind of stuff there. Um, if you have, if you, if you ever have questions or if you have ideas or whatnot, just shoot me an email, johngetsgames.com. Uh, sorry, uh, shoot me an email at johngetsgames at gmail.com. There it is. Uh, just go to johngetsgames.com to see all that information. Uh, that's the best way to give me ideas if you happen to have any. Uh, I, I certainly would not mind seeing stuff. I try to respond to every email that I get for various reasons. So far, that's not an uh, uh, overwhelming amount of emails that come from viewers, but uh, I do like seeing that stuff come in. Uh, ZDD asks, what is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game? 
Uh, that's actually easy uh, because I adore A Feast for Odin, specifically with the Norwegian's expansion. Uh, a Feast for Odin, uh, the base game, is like a 8 out of 10 for me, and A Feast for Odin with the Norwegian's expansion is an easy 10 out of 10. It's one of my favorite games ever, and it's easily my favorite of his games. Um, it's hard to go briefly into exactly why. It's just I, I've loved every single time I've played that game. It's a heavyweight worker placement game with so many options and so many ways to get to cool spots. It's also got this Tetrisy puzzly thing going on. I've just loved every single play of it. Um, so yeah, that's uh, an easy favorite of mine for uh, Rosenberg. Monica asks, have you seen a change in your collection from your first year as a gamer until now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I first really started getting into board games back in 2000. 9, 2008, around then. So obviously it's been um, well over 10 years. And my tastes have changed a lot over that time. Um, 10 years ago or so, I was actually not much of a Euro gamer. Uh, I was more of an Omni gamer in general. Uh, that's mostly because I was ravenous to try any game out there. I just, I would try anything. Um, I was learning my tastes essentially. Uh, so um, there were definitely some games that I enjoyed that I probably wouldn't even try that much today, like Cyclades. I loved that game when it first came out. It was one of my favorite games 10 years ago. But these days, I don't really think I would be particularly interested in playing it because it's all about troops on a map and moving around and fighting other people and knocking their stuff off of spots, which is just not something that I am particularly interested in right now. Um, maybe in five years, I'll be a war gamer. <laughs> it really surprised myself, but I, I don't think that's likely. Although, you know, even four months ago, I would not have expected myself to be interested in train games and stocks and auctions like I am now. So um, taste can absolutely change over time. Um, I've definitely drifted from American style games with uh, randomness and theme uh, centric uh, play towards Euro games. Um, like I loved Descent, um, the very first one that came out. I owned that one and played it a whole bunch, which was a dice chucking dungeon crawl, one versus many. And again, I, I just don't see myself playing a game like that now. It's just not something that I'm interested at all in. Uh, Monica asks, what is the craziest, weirdest game that you have ever played? Um, well, there might be something weirder than this, but uh, the first thing that jumped out to me is uh, the game called Lift It, uh, L-I-F-T-I-T. Uh, I played this one for the first time at Board Game Geek Con 2014 or 2015, way back when I first started going to that convention. Uh, and in this game, you take a plastic crane uh, and you Velcro it to your head and then dangling down from this plastic crane is a string with a little plastic hook on the end of it. So you move your head around and you have this string just like wobbling around. And then there are all of these uh, objects in the middle of the table. And you are trying to lift these objects with this crane that is attached to your head. And you're trying to stack them in various ways based off of cards that are flipped over. Um, I think the main way that you play the game is team-based and it is very strange and it is hilarious. And I do own a copy of it still. Um, we played it at Board Game Geek Con just because it was there and we wanted to give it a shot. And no game draws a crowd like Lift It does. Uh, we were at the convention and we drew big crowds of people, like, you know, 10, 15 people just watching us because of like, what are those people doing? First of all, we were like yelling and screaming a bunch because it's really hard to actually move these things around because you get the hook on there and then you move your head and it starts swinging and it'll knock something over or fall off the hook. Uh, so there's just really high, strange moments there. And also you just, you're seeing four grown adults with a plastic toy stuck to their head you know, with their heads super close together too like you're trying to do this in a similar area so your head's like a foot away from each other 
it's a really fun experience. Uh, like I said, I bought a copy of it after that, and I don't see myself ever getting rid of this, even though it's been years since I played it. Um, the strange toy factorness of it is enough for me to keep it around, and at some point, I'm sure I'll play it again. Um, maybe there's a weirder game out there that I played, but that's the first one that jumped to my mind. And uh, yeah, I would strongly recommend anyone who likes dexterity games at all give this one a shot if they have a chance, because it is <laughs> it's fun. Uh, Coralou says, I love watching your videos when you discuss upcoming games. It's great to have a heads up on what to pay attention to uh, when I see it uh, up for pre-orders. Uh, yeah, that's the Games Radar vlogs that I've been doing for a year or two now. Um, I like making those too. I really would like to make one of those every month. I just keep slipping. Um, and actually, I mentioned earlier that tomorrow I'm going to be doing a live top 10 list. And I am actively considering, especially to, uh, based off what how tomorrow goes, I'm considering about doing the Games Radar vlogs live as well. Um, I'm kind of figuring, like, why not? I enjoy doing things live, and maybe people might have questions that I could try to answer based off of the Board Game Geek page. I'm not going to commit to that just uh, now, but um, that is something that I'm contemplating doing, is uh, live versions of the Radar vlogs instead of pre-recorded ones like you've seen. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you've enjoyed the ones that I've made so far anyway. Those tend to be some of my best videos as far as views are concerned. Every time I make one, I'm like, yeah, I should really do these more often because people love to watch them. Uh, Bartek asks, when filming your tutorials, do you have a plan of how different players are going to play? What strategies do they have to best show how the game works? Or are you just improvising? Um, it really depends on the game. It's usually some halfway point between the two extremes. Um, some games like Kanban EV, uh, I had a plan for that game because there was so much going on. I, I figured out before I even turned the camera on, this player's gonna do this and then this player will do that in a very specific order because there were mechanics I wanted to teach in an order so that I could increase the complexity and build off of previous mechanics. Um, but that being said, other games like uh, Polynesia, a tutorial I made a week or two ago, I didn't really have a plan. I just kind of winged it the whole way through because it's not a terribly complicated game and so it wasn't ultra necessary. So it really depends on the weight of the game and how much is going on. Uh, uh, th that's what depends on how much pre-planning I actually do before I turn the camera on. Uh, Chrissy asks, Concordia Expansions, question mark. If so, which one? Uh, yes, Concordia Expansions, specifically Venus. Um, Venus uh, is an expansion to Concordia that also came out as a standalone box. You can buy the expansion box or the standalone version. And it is my favorite way to play Concordia by a pretty long margin. Uh, and I love Concordia, so that's saying a lot. Uh, but if I'm being honest, technically Venus is a Concordia expansion, but in my mind, I see it as more of a sibling game. It's so different, even though the mechanics are very similar. There's not that many extra rules when you're playing with Venus, but the gameplay experience is so drastically different that I see them as being two completely separate entities. Um, you know, they're siblings, essentially, instead of um, being one off of another. Um, so I think with regards to the other expansions that are more expansion-y, like Salsa uh, is one example, I'm actually not that into those. I've played with Salsa once, and I just found that I preferred playing vanilla. I didn't think the salt added that much, and the forum tiles were kind of cool, but I don't know, Concordia is such an elegant, simple system that I really feel like I just enjoyed playing it that way. And when you play Venus, it kind of feels like you're playing vanilla Concordia just in an alternate universe where you have teams going on. I have act actually haven't played Venus fully competitive, and I don't think I have any interest in doing that. If I play Venus, I just want to play team-based. Um, so I guess that's kind of where I land. If we have three players to play Concordia, I want to play vanilla. If we have four 
or six players to play Concordia, then I would definitely want to play Venus. It kind of depends on if there's an odd or even player count there. Uh, Vishnu asks, uh, is there any plan to collaborate with other content creators? Uh, I would love to see you as a guest on other channels and have some guests on your channel for playthroughs and more topics. Um, the quick answer is I don't have any specific plans. Um, I actually did just do a guest spot on the Train Shuffling podcast. Um, I've actually played some games with them, and they're the ones I'm going to be playing 18EU with uh, soon. Um, they are a 18xx-oriented podcast in a very real way, and they wanted to have me on to talk about my first experiences with 18xx and my current love affair that's happening with CubeRails games. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, they have a really high-quality podcast over there, uh, and I enjoyed being a guest on that. Um, I don't mind being guests on things. I certainly wouldn't mind that happening, and I should probably reach out to more people to make that happen. As far as guests showing up on uh, John Gets Games, I don't have any plans. I've actually put a lot of thought into this after the last update vlog where I, you know, bared my soul a little bit about some of the, the mental uh, trials and tribulations that I've had. Uh, I feel like 50% of the people who commented on that video said, you should collaborate. And I totally get that. Um, collaboration can be fun, but the type of content that I put out on Drawing Gets Games that I have for the last seven years is very much built around this being a one-person operation. Uh, I've honed everything in on that specific type of content. So if I was to bring somebody else in to collaborate, that's essentially brand new content that I haven't done at all before. And I'm not necessarily against that, but I can't just like slot somebody into the stuff that I'm already doing, if that makes sense. Like even my tutorials, um, they're not even genuine playthroughs. They're, you know, more about teaching as the game is being played. Um, and I oftentimes don't actually play through the whole game. Um, I've, I've thrown around some ideas in my head about maybe trying to actually invite somebody on to do a full playthrough of a game that's really just playthrough oriented instead of um, teaching oriented. It's something I'm, I'm currently uh, jostling around in my brain, but I don't have any solid ideas for it. And I'm certainly not committing to something like that happening. I'm not against it, but again, it's just, it's a, it's a bigger ask than a lot of other channels have. Like a lot of other channels and a lot of podcasts, it's easy to just slot a guest in. But for me, I have to actually essentially create something new where a guest could actually fit in. And I'm not against that, but um, it needs a lot more thinking to go along with it. So Genway asks, what are your favorite, uh, top five favorite Feld games? Uh, I've played a whole bunch of them and uh, he's designed a ton of them. And um, going in order, I guess the only one I can put in order really is uh, Oracle of Delphi. That is my favorite Feld game by far. Um, I love the dice manipulation. I love the fact that it's a race instead of a um, point salad type experience. Uh, I've enjoyed every single game of that that I've played. Um, looking at some of the other ones, uh, let's see here. Um, I liked Rialto quite a bit and I really liked Bruges and I'm even more excited for the new one that's coming out soon. Um, I think the new Bruges, yeah, it's Hamburg. I haven't played Hamburg, but I'm very excited to try that one out. Um, let's see here. That's uh, what I've talked about. I said Bruges, Rialto, and I said uh, Oracle of Delphi. Looking at some of these other ones on here, uh, I liked La Isla quite a bit. Uh, a simple game, but I really liked the stuff that was going on there. And um, I did enjoy In the Year of the Dragon. I played that one a few times, a few, maybe two or three times, and I've enjoyed every single play of that one. So I guess that's probably the top five. I played uh, Macau once and I enjoyed that, uh, which makes me quite interested in trying Amsterdam, which is a re-implementation of that one as well. Um, so yeah, um, I've enjoyed quite a few of his games. Uh, oh, Carpe Diem, uh, that one's great as well. So that's not a top five, <laughs> but I've definitely enjoyed many of these. Uh, the Castles of Burgundy is fine. A lot of people love that one. It's 
I'd say it's good, not great for me personally, but um, that's just my my personal opinion on it. Uh, and then Chrissy down here says, uh, not really a question, but uh, collaboration could be just game banter, any topic or a board game specific topic, not a playthrough or even a playthrough, just a video podcast like this live Q&A with a special guest. Um, it's possible something like that might be happening. Um, I have an idea, which I don't want to say any more details about, that is um, uh, act actively brewing that might turn into something that's similar to what you're talking about. We'll just have to see. Um, I I'm trying to keep all of my options open. Uh, as you can see, as I'm experimenting with things like uh, live top tens and whatnot that are going to be happening tomorrow. Um, all right. Well, I think that is going to wrap this extra long uh, Q&A vlog up. Thank you so much for everyone uh, for, uh, for coming on by. There's 47 people here still. Uh, so that's, that's really good to see. Um, I'm planning on doing another one of these in a few weeks, uh, maybe not as early in the month as I normally do, just because it's already so late in the month, um, probably in the second to third week, something like that, uh, in uh, May. And I will announce that in the update vlog that should be coming out at the start of May. Uh, hypothetically, the next update vlog should not be as delayed as this previous one was. Uh, so yeah, thanks again, everybody who came by live and to everyone who decided to listen and watch this uh, uh, later on after I have edited it up. And on that, I think I'm going to bring this one to a close.